As we stand at the precipice, feeling the heat on our faces from the dumpster fire our country has devolved into, sometimes an escape is necessary. And sure, meth will do that for you, but maybe, just maybe, dating horror stories from someone else's romantic fuckery might be better for your health. Surely your dentist would agree. So, laugh, cry, blush from secondhand embarrassment, and revel in a playground of mishaps that just might help you forget. Welcome to The Cultural Experience, Season 1, The Alphabet Chronicles. P is for pathetic. Self-love is a funny thing. It's kind of gradual and then all of a sudden. For the longest time, I believed my constant, incessant internal monologue, the ego. I believed him when he repeated on loop nasty things others said, the things that deep down I feared were true. But once I began to hear the distinctive whispering of that internal voice in new ways, I started to hear the lies I'd been told, by myself, to myself, you know, from the beginning of time. I think I started to hear the shift in the cab as I pulled away from the Kendall's apartment some you know, two months after the whirlwind of our first few dates. I was quietly sobbing to myself when I caught it. I pinpointed an objective untruth, a folly of my self-loathing. It stopped me from wallowing almost immediately, and slowly my sense of self-worth began to fortify. Of course, it would be months before I would fully unravel the lies and complicated relationships we'd built, but this was the first step in quieting the explosive destruction of the ego. I tried to keenly focus on this shift in an effort to distract from the shaky emotional ground I found myself stumbling across. I never knew this sickness lived in people. You know, not in this way, not really. I've seen the underbelly of humanity exposed in various permutations, but never like this. Never so erratically and violently, just devoid of logic or reason. Never so up close and personal, never hitting me across my face or slamming into my ribs. That was new. He'd come home from a day spent with family, the day filled with loving happiness, celebration, I had spent the day running errands and preparing for an eventful end to the weekend. I knew there would be little time for me to accomplish anything the following day, so it was best I use my Saturday to prepare. I was settled on the couch, finishing some work I needed to get ahead of for Monday when he came in. Everything seemed normal. He was in a good mood, albeit drunk, and happy to see me. We sat and nibbled on some leftovers he brought with him while we recounted our days. It was nice, uneventful. We'd settled into a happy rhythm over time. Happy-ish, I suppose. He was very neurotic in the beginning, irrationally accusing me of things I'd never done or behaviors I wasn't exhibiting. But eventually, we found our way through that. He'd masterfully framed his worry in a psychological casing that ensured my prying would be limited by general human decency, ultimately establishing the groundwork for manipulation. I didn't see it at the time, though. Once I gave in, we found peace within this new normal. I thought we'd be fine. I thought our nights would easily transition from dinner to TV to bed, something quaintly suburban. I was wrong. 
His chaos still confuses me. I think I brought some work into bed after we finished eating. I turned on a movie, hoping to use it as a distraction, hoping he would cuddle into me while I finished, and before it was over, I'd join him. But he couldn't focus. Wouldn't. He kept asking me questions and nagging me to stop working. He was relentless. I was kind until I noticed he was in a drunken loop. He was asking me the same questions over and over again, repeating himself. He he wouldn't stop. I needed a breather. I got up to go to the kitchen, and sensing my frustration, he followed closely behind. Even my slightest agitation always made him upset, defensive. He never wanted anything to be his fault. He poured himself another cocktail. Wine in a tall water glass. Classy. Frustrated by his lack of self-awareness, I went into the restroom. I needed a break, to step away for even a moment to ground myself. Weeks prior, the voice inside told me we'd leveled the madness, that he understood where I was coming from, that, that I was right, that he'd changed. This felt like symptoms of the problem I thought we'd tackled already. I didn't know what to do. I was tired. I needed to finish my work. I wondered if I could go home. Maybe sleeping in my own bed would be a nice reboot, give us a night away, a night to reset, a way to come back to ourselves before tomorrow. I walked out of the bathroom, considering how best to address this with him. For some reason, my eyes went immediately to the glass of wine he'd poured for himself. It was empty. By the time it had taken me to pee, he'd chugged it. (laughs) I think I need to go home. What? Yeah, I just... I need to finish this work, and you seem like you had a really nice time today, but you're drunk, and I just can't get this done with you like this. It's not a big deal. I'm not mad, but I do think it would be best. I'll come over first thing tomorrow morning. I gave him a kiss and went into the bedroom to gather my things. I don't know if it's common after trauma, but the rest of the night feels like an impressionist painting. It's blurry and incomprehensible, and and I don't really know how to describe what happened next. It was animalistic, subhuman, and dangerous. I feared for my safety, but also maintained an overwhelming sense of calm. I knew I had to keep my wits about me if I was going to get out of there. I had to keep an inner peace if I was going to be able to reason with him. I couldn't let the mania feed the voice. Then it would be over. I could stoop to his level, because then I would win, physically and in doing so, lose. He kept me trapped in that room, physically refusing to let me leave while he protested my reasoning. When I calmly reiterated my thought process, he attacked. He tried to commune with the voice inside. He tried to activate the fear in all the horrible things we protest outwardly, but silently carry with us. And though I was dying internally, I projected a calm exterior. I wasn't going to let him see me fumble. Incensed, his attacks became physical. When I tried to leave, he pushed me back into the room, screaming into my face, shoving me against the armoire. I tossed him backwards onto the bed with an ease that harkened back to our first night of passion, a night that seemed so far away and cast with a completely different set of characters. I didn't know who this man was anymore, and frankly, I wasn't sure who the man with calm, stoic stability was within me. Now on the bed and out of the way, I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to escape his bedroom. It worked. I moved quickly into the living room and started gathering my things. I should have run, but I didn't know for sure where my keys were, and I knew once I went through that door, I wasn't coming back. I scooped everything into a pile and shoveled it into a bag as quickly as possible. 
as long as I had everything, I could figure out the location of the essentials and safety. In the minute or two it took me to pack, he'd emerged from the bedroom. He was sweaty, crazed. He kept shouting, but I wasn't listening. I was singularly focused. I bent to pick up my bags when I realized I'd left my computer in his room. At this point, the shame shadow was building inside me, and I knew there was no way I was going to be able to explain away this mania. There was no way I'd be able to justify showing up on Monday without my work computer. At least that's what I told myself as I almost robotically walked myself past him and, with the aid of his shove, stumbled back into the confined cage of his room. My computer wasn't where I left it. He'd moved it. Fuck! I didn't know where to begin looking for it, and before I could strategize a game plan, he was behind me, shoving me across the room and into the window. My brain shut out his words, in turn muting my oral facilities. His erratic hatred became muffled and powerless. I was hearing his screams as if underwater. I I was on a mission now. I was getting out of there. I looked around, yelling for my computer. I, I couldn't find any surface he might have moved it to. Where was it? He started shoving me again, back into the armoire. I pushed him away from me, again onto the bed. This time he gave up his hiding place. Feeling thrown off balance, he looked to his right and used his body to shield what I quickly noticed was a small space between the bed and the wall. On the floor, I saw the corner of my laptop peeking out from underneath the bed. I must have given myself away because his eyes lit up like they were on fire, igniting his panicked hatred. As soon as I took half a step toward the bed, he kicked me with everything he had. Both feet hit squarely on my ribcage. It flung me backwards into the drawers. I was stunned. I tried again. Again, he kicked me, harder this time. He could tell his tactics were working, and he was going to keep using them until they didn't. On the fourth kick, I regained some sanity and grabbed his leg, tossing it out of the way. I lunged for the computer and managed to unearth it from its hiding place just as he found his footing. He clawed at my back and beat me with his fists as I crawled out of his bedroom. He tried to reach around me and dislodge the computer, but I successfully made it. I stood up as soon as I was in the living room and ran for my things. I tossed my computer into my bag, picked it up, and turned to see him seething, staring me in the eyes. His words were still muffled in my ears, but my eyes were sharp. As he was screaming, I saw his hands start to twitch. It was like watching Frankenstein's monster come to life. His hand was surging with newfound energy, an energy that was explosive and building quickly. It had to dissipate. It had to be released. Thwack! He hit me across the face. I tried to understand. I looked back at him. Thwack! Again. He hit me again. I had to get out. I felt like an animal, trapped. This time I didn't look up. I went immediately for the door, but he slithered in front of me and stopped me halfway. Thwack! This time he flung my glasses off my face. I couldn't see. My vision is horrible. Instinctively, I turned to look for them, tripping as I squinted and stumbled, feverishly trying to find them. Without these, there was no way I could get home. Through the sweat that had begun running into my eyes, I noticed the light bouncing off the lenses, thankfully. The frames had been camouflaged by the rug. I picked them up, put them on immediately, and again went for the door. Thwack! My resolve crumbled. I turned again to look for my glasses. I found them more quickly this time, even though they were further away. This time he'd managed to fling them all the way across the room. It almost felt like he'd done it for sport this time. As I put them back on my face, this time stretched out and slightly broken, I tapped into my energy reserves. I was getting out of this apartment.
For some reason, he'd left his post at the door and was in the kitchen. I saw him eyeing a knife that was laying on the drying rack. I wasn't going to give either of us a chance to find out what would happen. I sped towards the door and opened it. He was somehow right behind me and and snatched my hat off my head. I was spinning. I let him have it. I couldn't allow a hat to be the thing that got me hit again. I sped towards the stairwell to the lobby, with his dog following behind. She'd escaped, too, and was clearly looking for someone to rescue her. I raced on the stairs. I needed to be in public. I I couldn't risk running into him in the stairwell. The next time we saw each other, there had to be witnesses. I made it before he caught up to me. I, I must have looked insane. I was sweating and my glasses were sliding down my nose, refusing to stay in place because of their cracked arm. I corralled the dog and handed her to the doorman. He's insane. And then I left. The whole ordeal sounds ridiculous and over the top. Because it was. It was literal insanity playing out in front of me. I can't help but feeling I should have known better. I should have seen his crazy got so close to the surface, but I, I, don't, I didn't. I didn't because I couldn't or didn't want to. I'm still not sure. Once in the cab and safely out of harm's way, I stared out the window, watching the lights bleed together, and realized, maybe for the first time, the voice had been wrong all this time. I am enough. I am worthy. And for maybe the first time in years, as my bruised body came into consciousness, my internal and external voices exclaimed in unison, Pathetic. Thank you for listening to The Cultural Experience, Season 1, The Alphabet Chronicles. The podcast that's 100% true, except when it's not. Essays are written by Cole Grissom, inspired by real events. But rest assured, if a character resembles you in any way, I promise you're wrong. If you like what you heard today... Subscribe, share, tell your friends, your frenemies, your bad dates, your good dates, the guy in the alley you're planning on giving a handy to later tonight. Tell them all. Until next time, friends. <laughs>